Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Malvin. For those who don't know me, I'm a birth worker, a life coach, hypnotist, and a former liberal feminist turned radical truth teller. On this podcast, I expose the forces at play attempting to control our minds and bodies, such as transgender ideology, pornography, prostitution, and so much more. Together, we'll untangle patriarchal lies as you listen to jaw-dropping interviews with women from around the world. Warning, while listening to this podcast, you might find yourself triggered or perhaps notice where you've been biting your tongue on the issues that matter most to you. In my coaching and hypnosis, I help women and men stop getting triggered by every single thing, cultivate resilience, stop unwanted behaviors, and increase self-confidence. You can book your first session at whosebodyisit.com, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. And I just want to say that it's because of your endless support that I'm able to interview amazing women, get their stories out, and produce regular episodes for you. So with that being said, please like, comment, and subscribe to my channel on YouTube. And if you're listening in, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And also consider making a financial contribution via the link in my show notes. You can also visit my activist sticker shop. My pro-woman stickers have the power to intercept transhumanist programming. So take a photo of your stickers out in the wild and tag me on Instagram at Whose Body Is It? Without further ado, let's get into this week's story. Hibo Wader is a Somali-born author, activist, and female genital mutilation survivor based in the UK. At the age of six, Hebo was bullied on the playground for not being cut. Desperately wanting to fit in, she asked her mother to give her the cut the other girls had. She never imagined the horror she would then be subjected to, as she describes, it was like being butchered alive. For survivors of female genital mutilation, the humiliation doesn't end with the cutting. Its consequences are lifelong, with side effects such as infertility, kidney problems, keloids, painful menstruation and sex, and even maternal death. In this episode, we explore the motivations for mothers to repeat the violence they endured as girls, perpetuating a 3,000-year-old woman-hating practice across cultures and religions, the psychological ramifications for survivors, and what women need to heal. Hebo calls for women everywhere to unite in struggle as the strength of our shared experience is one of the most powerful forces in the world. Hebo, thank you so much for taking the time to to speak with me today about female genital mutilation. From what I understand, you are like leading this this movement against female genital mutilation, specifically in in the UK right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, would you talk about kind of yeah how you how you came into this work? 
First of all, thank you so much for having me and thank you for giving me this platform and to the millions of women that I carry and voices for. I don't know if I'm a prominent leader. I am called that, but I don't know if I am. There are amazing sisters of mine who also do similar work to me. I'm in this work particularly... I'm a survivor of it, first of all. Number one, it's the huge thing for me is um, I I am somebody who's very well known to this. It's part of my life. I live with it every single day. I, when I die, I die with it. So it's part of my life. And it's not part of my life because of choice. It wasn't. And uh, for me, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger comes to the mind. And it's about how do I use what hurt me to create change? And that is how I began to use it to create change, to raise awareness, to help save lives and all that. I'd seen in, in some of your, your previous interviews that, you know, when, when you left your home, you thought, okay, I'm coming to the UK and like, I'm yeah. finally away from this. And then you mm -hmm. came to find that, other refugees or people coming from Somalia, immigrants were practicing mm. FGM in the UK. Mm -hmm. I haven't met anybody who's practicing, but as, as, as our communities, we know that many things go under the radar, many, many things. And communities are very, very well jailed for them, for anything to seep through that. So you wouldn't know if anything's happening in that community because they're that, they're that quite tight-knit. But for me, when I came to UK, I actually thought I left that behind. I thought I'm never going to hear about it. I'm never. But deep inside, subconsciously, I knew like something like this, it can't be left behind. But for me, it's my way of mechanism of coping at that moment. It was, I will never see it. Well, I can't see it. Can't bother me yet. I live with it. So that is part of, you know, uh, denying a, a part of your mental health well-being, you know, sugarcoating things while you're suffering with it. For me, it was like that. And then when I was confronted with it, that is when I unraveled completely. And how were you confronted with it? Yeah, I was... Um, uh, volunteering in the school where my kids go. And uh, I was uh, assigned to help this 10-year-old girl to help her with her work, writing and things. And I did that. And she's such a lovely, beautiful young girl. Just reminded me of myself. And uh, I fell in love with her. She was so adorable. And all of a sudden, I'm part of a meeting, which I can't talk, I'm told, just to observe. And the mother is saying, I want to go back to my country to see my father who's very ill and the girl is about to finish primary school which is literally one month away from major exams for her to advance to secondary school and um, they are asking her can you not leave her with somebody else and she says I don't have anybody to live with and I know for a fact she had a two grown-up daughters who are married and penny dropped and I just I felt shiver I literally felt in my whole body something something just happened to me and I just felt so angry so emotional and when she left and the head teacher said we're thinking that she might be planning to go um take her daughter to do FGM I got so angry at him and he was like how dare you talk about FGM well you don't give a training to your staff your staff doesn't know anything about FGM it's not part of the child abuse how dare you that's how I answered him back but I came home and I decided there was an assignment that I was supposed to write about a child abuse that I'm aware or know of or have a proper knowledge. And it turns out to be I wanted to write about FGM. And it was 
beginning of everything. And I think that is the night that I've ever sat down and looked as an adult, looked back to six-year-old me and what was happening to her that day. And it was, it was devastating. It was mind-blowing. It was cruel. It was horrific. I felt being mutilated over and over and over again that evening. I just, I just, I, 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 just, I just couldn't accept what I was seeing. Wow. Yeah. I, what ended up happening to the little so, I just, uh, um, I wrote the assignment. I didn't sleep all night. I went the next day to the school with the puffy eyes and everything. And I told the head teacher, you need to read this assignment. And he looked at it and he said, is it your story? I said, yes, because it says there, but he bewarded it is my story. And he read and he was very emotional. And uh, the girl, long story short, the girl was taken and she was never brought back. She was never brought back. So for me, everything I do today, I have that 10-year-old in my heart and soul. I carry her with me. And to this day, I don't know. That's about 11 years ago. I have got no idea where she is. But she started me. She helped me stop to stop running and take a deep breath and look at myself and look at my life backwards and see what I have for years, what I have buried and bury it and that was the most painful part of it Oof. can you can you talk a little bit about like for people who don't myself included who don't understand like what Mm. the belief system is behind Mm. the practice or not the practice the the abuse you know like what can you talk a little bit about i've heard you mention you know honor like a family's honor will you you Four communities, all communities have a different attachment, belief system attached to this. In my community, which is Somali community, purely they're saying they're removing the clitoris to remove your sexual urges so that you don't become sexually insatiable, so that you don't cheat when your husband is away. Uh, It's completely numbing you. That's what they're saying. And then stitching you up means that you don't even consider to have sex before marriage. So you are both ways. Can't have sex because there's no space for any penis to go in in the first place. You can't even urinate. Then you can't even have a sexual arousal because of what they did. But there's much more to it into why some women, not all, some women can't have sexual arousal. The majority of that comes from the psychological trauma that you've had because everything that's associated between your leg, you automatically, your brain, your soul, everything about you goes into mode of pain. Mode of pain. You can't imagine any pleasure that you are designed to have any pleasure. So those women... Most of them need therapy, but most of us don't go to therapy because in our communities, we don't talk about sex. We don't even talk about what you call a uh, 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 period, let alone sex or women's body. Women's body is, is filled with embarrassment and all that. So can you imagine a women in our communities freely discussing sex? That That is something that it never happens. And I do that quite a lot. When I have the women to myself and we are having tea and coffee, and I will say, okay, so let's talk about sex. And they'll go, oh, and I'm like, how many kids you've got? Five, six. Well, clearly you've had sex, haven't you? So let's talk about it. It is that taboo for us to talk about any part of you, any part of our body. So can I explain what FGM is first to, the, to your, your audience? Yes. So under the WHO, that is World Health Organization, there's particularly many types that are, 
are put in there, but the most majority are four types. So type one, which is called the clitoridectomy, is either total or partial removal of clitoris. Type two is called excision. Again, is either total or partial removal of clitoris, plus some of the labia minora is removed. Type three is called infibulation. Infibulation means total removal of clitoris, plus both labias and whatever skin is left, they stitch up, leaving you with tiny hole like a tip of a matchstick. And type four is to do with all non-medical procedures like piercing, pricking, all those things. There's one that Ugandan community do called elonging of labias. They pull their labias very hard so that this man can play with this labias and it makes him fully aroused. So things like that. So yeah, cruelty, <laughs> cruelty oh beyond cruelty. Yeah. And yeah. then and then the idea is that when they're married the mm -hmm. stitches are released or they they cut them open so it depends on different communities some communities will have somebody in the bedroom while they are consummating marriage to make sure that she was a virgin that means seeing blood that means seeing this lady scream with pain in other communities they will be more humane and after you're checked by his family you could be taken to the hospital to be opened up or the husband forces his way in and the next morning your family and his family come and check that you've really were, were, were what would you call it, um, a, a virgin, full of blood and you've been in pain. So, yep, it doesn't end. The, the humiliation and the pain doesn't end the day you are cut. It just continues and builds up into worse things. And then are the women re-sewn after they have children or how does it work no. once? Okay. So, so First of all, in the UK, there's a law against that. If you've given birth and you were opened up, you're not allowed to resew yourself. But most of the women are finding difficulty with this because they have known certain way to their genitals to look like. Mm. And all of a sudden, their genital doesn't look like it's quite shocking for them to understand it to even accept that your genital is supposed to look that when you had something as simple as de-infibulation which means opening you up so that you can urinate and you can menstruate properly again women still find it difficult to accept that their urine was coming like a normal one and you know your genitals are opened up they had to have emotional support for them to click that this is how you were designed. This is how your genitals should have been in the first place. Open, nothing should have been shut. So it's not, um, a lot of them, some of them might not accept and go back home to whatever country they came from and redo it. But in UK, you are followed up because you done, we open you once, you redo that again, you are going to be in trouble. And if you've got a baby girl, so that means you can never take them out of UK ever again. So there is laws against that. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's it's yeah. unbelievable. I, I was living in Tel Aviv for about half a year and there was a large um Eritrean population and mm -hmm. I was a doula mm -hmm. at the time and, and I didn't I didn't personally serve um this community, but uh yeah. friends of mine did and, and some of the women didn't hadn't even like process that they were sewn during their birth. Like they would show up to the hospital ready to give birth and they yeah. would be partially sewn. And so like, yeah, just the dissociation that you, that you spoke to um, it's not just about the event mm -hmm. of the abuse taking place, but the like yeah. lifetime of just never wanting to open your legs again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, in, in, yeah. you know, in your, I know in your book and then in, in, in other interviews you've done, you've described in detail, you know, what that, what that day was like for you when you were six years old. And, you know, I think one thing that really um, 
stood out to me was that obviously your mother and your aunts were there and this is this is a an event that is produced by by women can can you yeah. speak to that yeah because you have to remember our mothers first of all in their mind this is not an abuse for them it's not about i am going to hurt my daughter this is viciousness i am going to abuse her for them it's not like that for them it's part of their life. It's part of the tradition. It's part of the heritage. It's something to be very, very proud of. And in that in those communities like ours, back home, if you predominantly live in an area where 100% girls were cut and you didn't cut your daughter, she will experience something called social death, which is no marriage for her, nothing. They will talk about her. They will say she's not virgin, she's dirty, she's this, she's that. So for them, it was something that was expected for them to do. Women have to carry this out in order to make sure that their daughter is marriageable, you know, owners, everything is, is at stake. For them not only that they, they the the commercial side of that is there is a commercial side which means that they get money for it which is the dowry i don't know why it's called dowry it should be called commercial thing it's dowry which means that they get a lot of money for that as well so it is uh, something that everybody gets and this girl can become such a high commodity very you know expensive asset uh, for her family so but the women are expected to carry out this because it's considered to be women thing to do men are aware this is happening men are aware this is done for them because some of them do actually want to marry a girl who's cut they don't want to marry a girl who's not cut so for them they are part of it but it's the women who continue to cut the girls because they are expected to do that and and how far like in somalia how, how far does this go back three thousand years Wow. Years, yeah. Pharaohs. Oh Pharaohs has brought it to our country and it is called Pharaonic Cut, actually. Pharaon Cut, Pharaonic, the one that's sewn, sewing up is called Pharaonic in Somali. So it was Pharaohs that produced, you know, most of the countries, Middle Eastern, African countries, it was Pharaohs that introduced this to these countries. It's, it's pre-religion, it predates religion. So when wow. people say it's a religion requirement, it isn't. It's not in Quran, it's not in Torah, it's not in Bible, it's not anybody with a book of belief. It actually predates religion and it's practiced by all Muslim, Christian, Jews and non-believers. So it's never, ever, ever, ever a religion requirement at all. Thank you for 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 mentioning that. You know, I I I'm an intactivist. I'm also against you know male infant male circumcision as well, and mm-hmm. um, I've heard it justified um, from a number of of women and men. You know, with the with the point that um, mm-hmm. you know, well, it's a family member, and it's mm-hmm. you know, it's in the and I'm like, so is FGM. Like, yeah. what difference does that make if it's mm-hmm. a family member? Thank you for naming that it, it isn't isn't religion. That I that is fascinating. No. I didn't know it was three thousand three thousand yeah. years old. Yeah. Like how has it been to, you know, maintain your your culture and your mm-hmm. um like the other beliefs that you used to really hold on to while releasing <laughs> How has that been for you? Do you know what Somali culture is absolutely stunning, 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 stunning. The clothes that we wear, to our hospitality, to our food, to everything. Somalis are the most generous people you can ever meet. They really, really are. It's just this part of tradition that consumed so many lives 
and caused so much havoc in women's life that, that I hate the most. And I want our women to talk about that. And I want them to have, you know, um, courage to say enough is enough. We've lost too many women. We've lost too many girls. Enough is enough. But for me, I love my culture. I love everything about it. And um, I represent it everywhere I go. If I'm invited to go to most prestigious places, I wear my traditional, you know, dera is called so beautiful. If Western people think they wear sexy clothes, you should see Somali dera. They are the sexy as hell. See through everything. Wow. <laughs> it's, designed, it's designed that way. So we really, really have a beautiful, beautiful culture. And as I said, they are the most friendliest, loving, caring people on earth. It's just this part of the tradition that I need to go. But I love my culture and I always carry it with me. That's beautiful. As a 3,000-year practice, it seems mm -hmm. pretty important and pretty obvious who the women are and, and who the men are, who the girls are and who the boys mm -hmm. are, and mm -hmm. that just the nature of being born, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, as a female in Somalia, like it's the plan is set. Like everybody yes. knows what is going to happen to the little girl. Yeah. Is there yeah. a practice for boys they do they do a boy's circumcision uh they do that but for the girls for me for the girls what they do i don't i don't agree with any child's genitals touch first of all let me be clear about that i don't agree at all i've had a lot of boys who've been you know circumcised and had major problems so i am right. never ever diminishing that i just don't want it to be mixed together because they're two separate issues. What happens to the girls is cruel beyond cruel. What happens to the girls can cause her to be infertile, can cause her to be sexually inactive, can cause her to have a major kidney problems, can cause her to have keloids, can cause her death during giving birth. It does cause maternal death. It's difficult, painful period, difficult sex. The list it keeps on going. Now, don't even go on psychological and emotional and the physical problems that you have for life. It's there for life. So for yeah. me, it's a quite separate issue. And uh, they do that to the boys in our countries too, they do. Which I thought, in my opinion, I thought it was a religion requirement, but I come to find that is actually called sunnah, which is a choice. Hmm. That a parent can make the choice whether they want to circumcise or not, which I didn't know that part before. Wow. Yeah. And so in Somalia today, like, mm -hmm. is it still unusual for you know a woman like how what are the what are the kind of the stats like how things, pervasive is thing, it? things are changing in somalia predominantly the young ones are changing somalia the young girls who've been cut do not want to cut their daughters ever again the young men who are growing up not don't wanna have any woman cut they've understood what sex means they've understood what women's right in pleasure means the young ones are the ones who are literally going to turn this practice upside down on its head they don't want to mutilate their children so that is guaranteed that the future generations 20 30 years and from now on I don't think any 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 man or, or woman will cut their daughters or boys or whatever. They will never touch that. But at the moment, we still are the highest in the world. Still is 95 and over percent in Somalia. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. So if we if we backtrack a little bit back to like your your experience before mm. you were cut 
the girls that, if I remember correctly, the girls at your school, most mm-hmm. of them had been cut and you, yeah. you know, you kind of wanted to fit in. Can you talk a little bit about like the social I, pressure? I, yeah, I was one of those girls. Um, I was very, I would say I was very clever. So in the, in the classroom, the only thing I wasn't clever at was maths. I hated maths purely because of the teacher. When I look back at now, he used to hate me a lot. Um, so um, I will do my work really fast, help others as well. And then break time comes and they're all doing jumping rope and stuff like that. And one of the girls asked me, are you cut? And I said, no, because for me in my head, cut means are you hurt? Or if you cut somewhere, cut your leg, your arm. It never occurred to me on anything. I'm six years old. Why would anything else occur to me? So it was now. So after that, the singing of... Hebo can't touch Quran, Hebo stinks, Hebo's haram, Hebo is this and that. Just just kept on happening every day. And one day I went home crying my eyes out to my mom's lap and I said to her, Look, whatever the cut is, do it because I can't, I can't be I can't be doing like that. Never have I ever, ever, ever in my wildest dreams thought what was going to happen to me was what they were bullying me into it. I never thought that. No child, 95% of the children, first of all, it's not 95, 98% of the children do not know what's going to happen to them. They don't know. I was given a big party. I was told I was beautiful. I'm going to be a big woman. You're going to be brave, all those things, you know, given presents and all that. But none of them will ever explain exactly what's going to happen to you. None of them will say it. You're just going to find out that morning what's actually happening to you. And for me, after I was mutilated, which was gruesome, which was being butchered alive. I don't have any other word to describe it. Yeah, I mean, like you hold down, your legs literally pulled so hard before they cut anything else. You're actually screaming for them the pain from your legs. And then they start to cut and it's, there's no words. It's, it's like uh, you go to a lava and get a bucket full of lava and just Dows on you from head to toe and you're just burning every single part of you is burning and it's not even one burn it's a million burns because cutting more and more and more and every time it's more and it's more it was just the most horrific horrific horror uh, in that heart I experienced things that no human on earth should experience and when I got better after a few weeks and I went back to the school and I was never that person, that child, again, who was friendly, happy, curious, loving. I wasn't like that. I don't know what I was. I was just a child filled with pain. And I went back and she, they asked, so, Hibo, are you cut? And I said, yes. Oh, come on, play with me. And I said, no. So I just decided, you not. I'm not going to be part of you bullying somebody else to do that. I just stayed alone again. And it was even more alone now because I have so much thing going on in my head of why was I ignored? Why did my mom not listen to my screams? Why they did not help me when I begged for mercy? Why? There were so many things running around in my head. It was, I was jumpy. I was always jumpy. Every time I saw adults talk, I just thought, something evil was coming on my way and that went on for years my gosh i mean the the alone you didn't even have the benefit of you fitting into a group because you were like i don't want to be in this no like this evil group this is i don't want to be in this group no and it's, it's it's unbelievable that all those 
little girls in the schoolyard mm-hmm. had already been through what you had been yeah. through yeah yeah and were just existing and dissociating and and soliciting yeah I think looking back for them that was their way of I think a coping mechanism or making others be part of them whatever it was I can never understand what it was but I just knew that I can't be part of another girl's pain and I was prepared if a girl was segregated like they did to me I was prepared to take her under my wings but I've never seen any other girl being segregated because Somalian girls mostly are cut by the age of two and three so I was very old (laughs) six years old Mm -hmm. I was very old and uh, when I asked my mother why did you wait that long she said you were too skinny and I was afraid you're going to bleed to death so I didn't want anything done before you were yeah and yeah. there was no like anesthetic or anything. No anesthesia at all. No anesthesia whatsoever. And I mean, the blade touching your skin and cutting, there is no word on earth to describe what that is. There's no words. No one word on earth can describe what that means. Even me telling you now, I have chills from going from my head to my toe because you can never recover from it. You can never heal from that experience you just learn to cope with it and you learn how to use for me it's like talking about it is a therapeutic every day I talk about it it's more I'm getting more and more you know therapy out of that have you met other Somali women who are speaking out like what you're doing like how like how uh, radical it seems a very radical are there are there other do you have allies in this specifically from Somalia I mean how's yeah it been like- I, I do I do but they're quite younger than me they're about 10 years or 11 years younger than me I think I am extremely radical when it comes to that I, I haven't seen anybody who speaks like me and very 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 forward and straight talking like me I haven't seen that but you talk to women on their own spaces and they are very furious they have a lot to say they just don't want to be like me out there because mm-hmm. being me like me is it comes with a with a, with a which means you're constantly attacked by your own community you're constantly you know defaced (laughs) see everything they do they say all kind of things about you but for me I'm loved I'm very 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 loved by all and for me that always gives me more fuel to continue and I say the more you attack me the more I know I'm doing is correct because you wouldn't be attacking me if they didn't think deeply this was correct so i have a radical way of thinking of the abuse that i guess <laughs> yeah wow wow yeah 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 you're 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 making uh progress if they're trying yeah. to shut you down they they see yes. your power yes. yeah yeah it's it's so surreal first of all if you are a woman and you talk for me it's like why does it bother you why i'm talking about me and my vagina Mm-hmm. I'm not mentioning you, am I? No. So why is it bothering you that much that you you have a, something to say about? Simple answer is because you know I'm talking about the truth and you don't want me to say that. Mm-hmm. You want me not to say that. Why? Protecting the community's name and honor is above everything. Everything. Uh-huh. So for me, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to protect anything that is evil, that, you know, continues to hurt our girls, continues to take lives of women and girls. Sorry, but 3,000 and more is enough and enough. And it's time we said no. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some of the other challenges, you know, you've, you face as an, as an activist in, mm. in this realm? 
it's it's i think the work that i do humanitarian work does not pay anything humanitarian work is very 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 lonely very very lonely and financially it's quite it can be very detrimental to you and it has been like that for me for years because i never ever looked at the financial aspect of it i always looked at this work i had a hunger i was a survivor who felt hunger and nowadays i'm different um anybody who approaches me i need you to pay something towards what i'm doing because it helps the work i'm doing and i have to say now i'm in a position where i can say you know what things are moving forward because we've just filed educate not mutilate to become a charity just two days ago oh, wow that's amazing so i'm so proud of that and i know that i have very very powerful friends who i couldn't have existed without their you know without their support over the years but what the charity is going to do is bring more support in and i can do the work i do peacefully that way and knowing the climate that financially that we're in mm-hmm. it's horrific for everybody and for me people think i'm only about fdm i'm not where i live everyone comes to me for everything they need whether it's the home office advice you know social service everything i'm called in for by the communities from different backgrounds and i love that i love 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 that so it's uh, there's a lot of work to be done and there's many other challenges including you know as i said first of all your community is owning you that that i find it to be the hardest part of it anything else i can just take it on my strive and keep going yeah yeah well first of all yeah i'm going to link the educate not mutilate link for people to donate um, yeah. and make a donation myself obviously for for your time and i i i'm curious about your relationship with your fam like with mm-hmm. you know the the aunt your your mother and your aunt if if, if you want to speak to you know yeah. how you were able to either forgive or confront yeah. or I forgave my mother because you know when you become a mother yourself you see things differently and for me when i became pregnant first time i was still upset i was still carrying so much baggage and knowing that i was going to be a mother i felt i cannot go into motherhood with everything that i'm carrying the anger the resentment the hurt the everything i just couldn't do it and in our community even if you have all those feelings you still show the respect and love to your parent which i'm glad i did and um, i forgave her and i forgave her on my own terms and i never told her for 10 years i didn't say that i forgave her for 10 years until on her death but she asked me if i forgave her forgive me and i said to her, i already have 10 years ago and she was like why you didn't tell me i said that was a private forgiven it was private forgiven for my own sanity now my auntie also passed away and i never blamed my auntie for anything because i never thought my auntie was the one that supposed to protect me i always thought it was mm. my mother because even after i was cut i could look at my auntie's face but i couldn't look at my mom's face i just couldn't it was too much pain so for me my auntie i had a resentment but it wasn't as deep as i had for the person that i thought should protect me should hear me pitiful screams should stop to everybody that was my mother but i'm so glad i forgiven them all because forgiveness is not for everyone and it does not bring closure but it just it made me feel lighter and mm-hmm. it, it allowed me to you know to go on and live life and be the mother that i wanted to be wow yeah Oh, so the pre- yeah, it sounds like the you know, that the pregnancy really 
really shifted. I, I mean, yeah, and I and, and I understood what her what her position was. I understood she didn't do it out of hatred or viciousness. This was something that she was expected. She thought she was okay in her daughter's marriage. She was, you know, protecting her daughter's future, and that is how she saw. And that is the part that I accepted afterwards, after four decades, that this was mm. something that my mother didn't do it out of hurt. It was just what she was expected to do. And unfortunately, she's not with us today. I wish you could be here and see what I do today. I'm pretty much sure she would have been my by my side, <laughs> campaigning with me. Wow, that would yeah, be, that would have been incredible. And yeah, about sisters. Like, did you have sisters who I interpreted have, the events differently? A, no, I have an older sister. We don't talk about this at all. Not for a one minute. What? We never talk about it ever. But she sees my work. She sees everything I do. She's very proud. She tells her friends she's very proud. Wow. But we never ever we never ever discuss this ever. It's quite quite um very, very <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's just weird. It is weird, but she's the only sister I have, so I'm not gonna rock the boat and start a conversation that she clearly doesn't want to want to start. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like the yeah. pain is just it's just too much i think so i think so i oh, think so yeah yeah wow, wow. that's yeah. unbelievable oh, it is it is it shuts people down this practice has that power of shutting people down completely and um, when i speak to the women the amount of pain they have is quite staggering some of them their description of what happened to them mine is just nothing to compare to others when they describe what happened to them. So it's it's a tsunami, tsunami of women with full of pain that they can't say out loud. They're just literally buried by their pain. It's 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 horrific. It's disgusting that it just keeps on going on this much. Why are the women still, you know, saying it's okay to cut girls? It's not bloody okay to do that. You know it. As a mother, you suffer yourself. You go through so many things. And then you look at your daughter and you think, you know what? I'm going to condemn you to the life that I have. You're not a mother. I don't know what the hell you are, but you're not a mother. You're betraying that child's life so much. And you're condemning them to the pain, you know, a lifetime of pain. You're a perpetrator in my eyes. You really are abuser in my eyes, especially when you're in Western world. You really are. There's no escaping that. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, it's absolutely child abuse, whether it's the yeah, mother. Yeah, it's a cruel one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is a cruel one. Yeah, yeah. It's really difficult. You know, like I spend a lot of my time, you know, talking about like top down power structures and, you know, you know, um, male violence and rapists, male rapists. Mm. And, you Mm. know, it's this is not this is not a realm that I'm used to like exploring Mm. or talking about because Mm. it's Mm. so painful. You know, like my Mm. whole world is centering mother baby and honoring the Mm. mother as Mm. the authority. And and so you know what and, and with with fgm it really confronts all of that as you mentioned like 3000 years of programming and of mm. exploiting your your mm. creation like your yeah. your 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 flesh and blood um but it, you know what boils my blood is okay women come to the western world 
they are very well aware of their human rights. They're very well aware they should be respected for who you are, what they believe in, their rights to get things. They are very, 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 very well aware. If a husband beats up, they're so quick to leave, call the police, get, you know, they are, they love their rights. Why are you not recognizing this child's rights too? Why are you not? Why? Why are you betraying their trust? Why? How do you look at your child's face and say, you know what, I'm going to take you home. Yeah, I'm going to be mutilating you. It's part of my culture. How? How do you live with yourself? How do you look at that child every day in the face and say, I love you? Because that's not love what you just did. It's not love. That child is never going to be the same again. Their life is completely turned upside down. How right. do you live with yourself? I, I really want to ask that question to these women. Mm -hmm. How? Just explain to me as a mother how you looked at a child and think, okay, what I done yesterday to you, it's okay. How do you live with yourself? And in your case, you, you know, wanted it, you know, you wanted to fit in with the other girls. And so there are parents in the Western world who yeah. are, are, are lying to themselves, you know, mm -hmm. even outside of FGM and saying, mm -hmm. well, no, my kid wants it. It's like, how could Who's any kid want about that? an Who irreversible sir a uh, 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 mutilation surgery whether there's anesthetic or no anesthetic i mean it's it's your it's child like, can understand your child doesn't know what they're talking about but you not. as an adult know what you're talking about you're fully aware what you're talking about you went through it you suffer with it you will die with it you will you have a life sentence on you you absolutely are fully aware and then you just say okay my child wants to fit in i'm going to do that it's not how you're supposed to parent you're supposed to protect your child from all kinds of hurtful things. You're supposed to be their protector in emotionally, in psychologically, in physically. You are supposed to be that. You are trusted with a precious human being. You are privileged to have that human being in your hands. You really are. And then you go and you abuse and you trust that in so many ways. You violate it. It's it's quite staggering. I still can't comprehend that. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I really appreciate you. You know, I, I love the way I love how direct you are, how uh, fearless you are, and how vulnerable you are in, in all of your interviews and, and to speak on this over and over. It's really powerful. I, I think we have to be, I think as a woman, I think women are unbelievable creatures in this world i mean like we suffer the most cruelest horrific things on earth and then we continue to live that is something that is especially built in us that is something that you know will help us navigate this world however hurt we are or however tortured souls we are we continue and once you find that voice that tells you talk about this do something about it you really don't have fear. You don't have fear at all. You don't. You just see injustice. You see cruelty. You want to do something about that. It's simple as that. Even if it means you repeating your trauma a gazillion times, that really, really hurts you, has an impact on you. You dust yourself. You get up again and you go. Because you know what's at stake. 11,000 girls every single day globally are mutilated. Some of them will never know their death. Some of them, they begin life of trauma. Over 200 million women and girls walk on earth. I'm one of them. So for me, repeating my story, however impact it has, 
it's just an, a drop in an ocean. It really is. I want to say to the world, I want to say to the women and the men outside that world, especially for women, please pass what I'm wearing. Please pass the color of my skin, pass the religion I believe, pass everything. See the woman, see the womanhood. That womanhood is the most special bond that is between women on this earth, on the universe. We are bonded by our womanhood. Look at that, then get involved. Don't be afraid to be a humanist. Being a humanist means you don't see the race, you don't see the religion, you see the human being. Use that. Get involved, even if it's not from your culture or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a human right violation. And when a human is hurting, you should hurt too, and you should get involved. Thank you so much, Hibo. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or family member who needs to hear this content. And if you do share it on social media, don't forget to follow and tag me at Whose Body Is It? So until next time, 